Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Ellie. And this is the Queers for Fears podcast. The podcast that talks about creepy shit, real or fake. And spooky shit. And this is... Kind of a mix of both. This is June's uh, movie episode. And if you follow us on Instagram, you probably know that we're talking about the 2005 reboot movie of the Amityville Horror Today. Um, and we're going to start with some history about this house, the quote-unquote real stuff, and then we'll discuss the movie. And finally, we'll sound off if we think this house is actually haunted or if its inhabitants were simply looking for fame and fortune. Spoiler alert, they were. <laughs> okay. So the house Walk itself. Yeah, so the house was at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, which is on Long Island, New York. Um, it was built in 27 or 28, depending on your source. Um, and since the time of the murders that we're going to get to in a second, it has been lived in by four families, including one, the family after the Lutzes, them, yeah. they of the haunting, uh, the family after them asked for the address to be changed to 108 Ocean Avenue to give them a little bit of privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was last sold in 2017 for $605,000. So, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's depending on your source, it's got five or six bedrooms, plus a boathouse and a garage overlooking the, in the movie, it's a lake, I think, but. In real life, it's the Amityville River. And there's a pool in the backyard. It's a pretty nice house. And uh, you can still search it up on like realtor.com. Zillow, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Um, Yeah, so there was a sign out front with high hopes and sort of a creepy gothic script. So that is in the movie, and that is true. The DeFeos had that sign out. So it says it's 412 Ocean Avenue. It's not. Oh, yeah, no, it's 112. Or now it's 108. Now it's 108, yeah. So the DeFeos were the family of the horror, and then the family after them, the Lutzes, experienced allegedly this haunting. So Ron DeFeo Sr. was raised in Brooklyn. He made okay money working at his father-in-law's Buick dealership, enough to leave the city and move out to Long Island. He was a stern or possible, I mean, by the, by the standards of those times, stern. By our standards, yeah, like probably an abusive yeah. Father. Well, I heard that he used to like slam Ronnie's head into the walls and other stuff. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was shitty to Ronnie Jr. Um, Ronnie Jr. was but, like. AKA Butch. Yeah, AKA like Butch. <laughs> um, Ronnie would get bullied at school and his father would be like, why don't you stand up for yourself and be a man, yada, yada. But uh. then, of course, he couldn't fucking stand up for himself against his father. Mm-hmm. Um, Eventually, the verbal abuse, as Abby mentioned, escalated into physical abuse. They would get into fistfights, and Ronnie started acting out, obviously, outside of the home. Um, eventually, the DeFeos just kind of gave him whatever he wanted, including a $14,000 speedboat to take out into the Amityville River. Hello. Yeah. As a teenager, Ronnie starts doing, like, little hellion shit, like petty thievery and drugs. He gets into some serious stuff, like mm-hmm. speed, heroin, and some acid. Um, he used to take heroin and acid together. Goo! Which I... Fuck, man. I'd... And he, but he also started doing like, right, like shoplifting. Okay, he's a shitty teenager. Um, heroin, what? And he also did like downright creepy future serial killer shit, Ooh. like pointing a loading, a loaded hunted, hunt, pointing a loaded hunting rival, rifle, <sighs> like pointing a loaded hunting rifle at a friend. Um, <laughs> Ronnie eventually got a job at his grandfather's Buick dealership, but allegedly spent all the money on drugs and alcohol. Well, I mean, it sounds like Ronnie's pretty shitty. Yeah. Well, one night his father, Ron Sr., and his mom get into an argument. 
Ronnie grabs a 12 gauge shotgun from his room, loads it and points it at his dad saying, leave that woman alone. I'm going to kill you. You fat fuck. This is it. And then he pulls the trigger, but the gun somehow didn't go off. And he just like walked out of the room. Like no big what? deal. Yeah. And they were just like shrug. I like, <laughs> yeah, just like life went on. I fucking guess. <laughs> Not for very much longer, though. Yeah. So, so shortly before the murders, Ronnie is put in charge of taking $1,800 in cash and $20,000 in checks to the bank as part of his job at the dealership. And he arranges to have a friend, quote unquote, rob him along the way, and they split the profits. Um, the cops are called Ron Sr. saw through Butch's scheme. And once again, Butch threatens to kill his dad before just fucking driving off. Yeah, it sounds like a fucking shithead. So November 14th, 1974, Ronnie, who is at the time 22 or 23, murders his parents first, each with two shots, then his two brothers, and then his two sisters uh, with one shot each. All of his siblings were aged 9 to 18 at the time um, with a rifle while they slept. Some sources loud fucking rifle, too. Yeah. Some sources say they were drugged because, right, the big question was, how did you manage to shoot? Because yeah. the parents... Nobody the, woke up, and the neighbors also didn't wake up. Yeah, nobody heard anything. The parents yeah. had their own room, the boys had their own room, the girls had their own room or rooms. And I mean, that's a big house. It's gonna, like, echo and, like, rattle the walls and shit. Yeah, like, like nobody woke up and stopped him. him. They were all in their rooms. I wrote it down. A three thirty six c rifle, which is, like, a thirty five caliber. Yeah. It's a huge gun. So, they were all on their stomachs, face down. Yep. And... There's some evidence that his mother and his sister, Allison, were awake when they were shot. But, like, they were all still in their room. Yeah. So no one was in, in bed. So the movie says that one of them was in the closet. Nobody was in the closet, right? They were yeah, all in no, bed? They were all in bed. And they're not... And there was an evidence that, like, they were out of bed and he, like, dragged them back to... to yeah, bed. no. Yeah. It's, it seems like they were like all the just, blood, like... There was a, there wasn't blood, like, you know, trail or whatever. No, it sounded like they were all just yeah. shot and killed where they slept. That's kind of weird. Um, so he drove to Brooklyn to throw the evidence down a storm drain, um, like the bloody clothes and stuff before heading to work at the Buick dealership the next day. Like everything's fucking normal. What the fuck? Yeah. He basically spent the day normally and he even made a show of like calling his family's house a couple times. Obviously he got no answer, like showing to a friend he was hanging out with later that day that he was calling his family's home and nobody was answering. And then he went to the bar after work with some friends and then he left the bar and went home and then ran back claiming that he had found his parents' bodies. Um, so, I'm sorry. This one is in your notes. Yeah. So, um, the podcast, another podcast I listened to, Necronomapod, um, which is a fun podcast, um, where they were talking about the uh, DeFeo family and the Lutz family, but mostly the DeFeos, I think. Um, but apparently Ronnie told cops that, and friends that his mom's cooking sucked and that it looked like shit and it smelled like shit. And that what? And then in the house, like they didn't even wipe their asses. Sometimes there'd be shit on the toilet seat. Hello. As we've already mentioned in our last movie episode, please watch your butt. Um, and also if your whole family is murdered, like. I know. It's what, like it's like what an odd fucking thing to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. So he claims like, No. He runs back to the bar claiming that he has found his parents' bodies and then the cops yeah, come in, obviously. Like, I think my parents have been shot. He says like I think. Yeah. Like, he's not sure. Yeah, and you can like 
Hello? In the original, they recreate this. I don't know if it's the original recording or what, but in the movie, and this is, is true to the dispatcher's transcript, like mm-hmm. whoever calls the cops is like, everybody's dead. And the dispatcher is like, what do you mean everybody's dead? And there's some confusion over what the address of the house is. He's like, I don't know. I'm just on Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. And there's like, everybody's dead. So yeah, um, he's brought in. He tells the cops that he thinks this guy, Louis Fellini, might have done it. What a name. Right? So Fellini was apparently a mafia hitman. Of course he was. His name was Louis Fellini. <laughs> he apparently... Louis st- Fellini. He apparently just stayed with the DeFeos for a while and helped Ron and Ronnie carve a hideout, according to Ronnie. He helped them carve a hideout under the basement to store jewels and cash. What is this family? <laughs> yeah. So Ronnie DeFeo and Louis Fellini allegedly had a, some kind of beef over some work Ronnie had done at the dealership. Um, so Ronnie, like when he's being questioned by the cops, he admits like, yeah, I use heroin. Um, yeah, I helped my dad. He essentially helped his dad commit insurance fraud to get his speedboat replaced. Like it needed a new engine. And so he just like destroyed the boat so they could collect the insurance money. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, the cops think he's being a pretty cooperative witness. Cause he admits to all this other shit that, Mm, you yeah, know, is like not the murder, but it's also stuff you should. And then in conjunction with like him thinking that Louis Fellini did it, his apparently his grandfather had connections with him too. I was gonna say that makes sense. Like, why else yeah. would you be just like casually hosting? Yeah, a mafia why would you just be like the mob did it? Yeah, <laughs> like I would never think. Of, I would never say that. So, but the cops find the original box from the murder weapon from the gun in Ronnie's room, mm-hmm. and so he's Mirandaed, and his story just comes apart. Like he says that like there was someone in the house and, but that they like woke him up and like walked him through the house. And I don't know, just his story keeps changing. And every time they poke a really obvious hole in it, it just kind of comes apart. Well, you know what, Ronnie, if you tell the truth, you don't have to keep track of all of your lies. Yeah. Finally, he admits it all started so fast. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Sorry. Allegedly. Um, a, a psychiatrist, right? Because obviously the DeFeos were worried about Ronnie beforehand. Right. Um, and they consulted a psychiatrist who had told them if they don't get him help, he'll kill you both. Well. Yeah. Well, so Ronnie DeFeo's <laughs> lawyers say that um, they're trying to get him, of course, not guilty by reason of insanity. Right. They say that voices told him to kill everyone or in some versions of the story that he heard his family's voices in his head plotting against him. Um, but he was found competent to stand trial despite his history of mental illness and drug use. Um, oh yeah. Fun fact, the defense retained the guy who later found son of Sam to be uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. Hmm. Um, so the prosecution is trying to provoke Ronnie on the stand and get him to show the jury that he just did this like for fucking fun. And finally, Ronnie says to Gerard Sullivan, the prosecuting attorney quote, you think I'm playing if I had any sense, which I don't, I'd come down there and kill you now. And Ronnie is sentenced to six consecutive life sentences for the six murders. And I believe he's still in prison today. Oh, shit. So the Lutzes move in not long after all this. Um, George and Kathy Lutz. George's middle name is Lee, and that's what he goes by. George is played by Ryan Reynolds. Not Ashton Kutcher, as we said in a previous episode. It's fine. So Lee and Kathy, they're 32, and she has three kids from a previous marriage. Daniel, 10, Christopher, 7, and Melissa, age 5. Yeah, they changed the name of the kids for the movie. Yeah, but not the parents, which is odd. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, okay. Like, Daniel and Christopher are both pretty standard 
Yeah. Melissa, they, also pretty standard kid yeah. names. I don't know why they changed it to Chelsea. Also, the ages are different. Like, the oh, eldest yeah. kid is 12. The middle kid is, like, maybe 9. Yeah, and the youngest that. is definitely a little bit older than 5. Like she's actually... 6. She's yeah. definitely... She's played by Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. Which I saw her, and I was like, I know that face. Because yeah. I hadn't seen this movie in years. And so I looked up, I was like, who is this kid? It's Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, so they move in on December 28th, 1975. So they had been looking for houses in the... In these Sorry, houses. I was just thinking about moving in the wintertime. I'm thinking about moving in the wintertime in New York and these fucking house prices, which are sickening. Right. They were looking for a house in the thirty dollars to $50,000 range. Oh. But the real estate agent wanted to show them, quote unquote, how the other half lives and shows them 112 Ocean Avenue, which is priced at $80,000. So Lee was the treasurer and vice president of a surveying firm uh, based out of Syosset, New York. And they wanted to turn the third floor into the kid's wing and put the surveying firm on the first floor, which in the movie, they give the little girl the third floor bedroom and they mm. put the surveying business in the basement. They do have those creepy windows at the very top of the house, which mm -hmm. in the movie is Chelsea slash Melissa's room that kind of look like creepy eyes. Apparently those mm. have been changed. The rest of the house is mostly yeah, unchanged they to this change day. That. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they knew about the murders, which in the movie they find out, like, right after they decide to buy the house. They knew about the murders, but they weren't superstitious. They're like, we're fine with this. This is a really good deal. And as a millennial who will probably never own property <laughs> in her entire life, I kind of get it. I kind of get it, yeah. So, a friend of Lee's insists that they have a priest bless the place. Although, oh. Lee is not a Catholic, he's a Methodist, but he's like, sure. So, Father Ray Picararo comes and blesses the house. Um, and in one of the rooms, he feels a hand slapping him and he hears a voice telling him to get out, which oh, that does happen in the movie. Okay. Um, he insists that the room where this happened not be used as a bedroom and the Lutzes must, according to this priest, spend as little time in there as possible. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. We're going to use it as a sewing room. And the priest is like, good idea. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> so they turn it into a sewing room and they keep a bottle of holy water they, that they got from the father inside the room. Um, and it turns out that that was Ronnie Jr.'s room, yeah. which in the movie they have it that he had just moved into the basement, but his room was actually one of the regular bedrooms that got turned into a sewing room by the, by the Lutzes. Mm -hmm. Um, Pacararo apparently later develops flu-like symptoms, his hands bleed, a la stigmata, and yeah. according to the original 1979 new movie, but not in the book, he later went blind. Um, Lee Lutz claimed that even though it wasn't put in the book, that bit in the 1979 movie is true and that he had some kind of ocular tumor that he had to have removed. Okay. So the Lutzes experience a variety of phenomena, weird noises, sounds, a chill in the air that does feature in the movie. Like Lee mm -hmm. or George is complaining the entire movie that it's so fucking cold. Well, he's also the only one that complains that it's cold. Yeah. He's the only one who like experiences was symptoms from the choice. house. Yeah, yeah. But apparently in like in real life, Lee like kept building fires in this fireplace over and over and over again because he kept saying that it was so cold, so cold. Um, but then there's another version that says like that the house would be hot no matter what the thermostat said. So yeah, temperature related phenomena, weird noises, sounds, sinister images on the walls, a crucifix turning upside down. So this always cracks me up. In the movie, there's randomly one doorknob. Of course, the room of the, that the priest goes into to start his blessing. Yeah, that has, that a, has a cross, cross on, on the doorknob. You know, like like the you do does. <laughs> and of course, the doorknob turns so the cross is upside down. But it's silly because an upside down cross. So Peter was allegedly right. This is yeah. the my rock upon which I will build my church. Saint Peter was apparently crucified upside down. And so, if you've ever seen the throne that the Pope sits on. 
it's an upside down cross because it's the cross of St. Peter. So anyway, it always cracks me up when there's like an upside down cross. And I'm like, oh, no, it's the Pope. It's Peter. (laughs) I don't. A crucifix turning upside down. That's a little spooky, I guess. Um, Not a cross. Allegedly, a porcelain lion leapt from a corner of the living room and bit Lee on the ankle. Um, Jody. So Jody also is like in the movie. Yeah. One of the DeFeo girls. Yeah, but I've heard different accounts that she was seen as a little girl or also as like an imaginary like pig friend demon thing with glowy eyes. Yeah, the the glowing eyed pig demon we're gonna come back to today on brand new <laughs> we're sentences. Circle back. We're gonna to circle that. back to the glowing eyed <laughs> pig demon. Lee apparently saw a ghostly vision of Ronnie DeFeo Jr.'s head floating in the cellar. Um, Kathy and Lee see a burned impression of a demonic hooded figure on their fireplace. Um, Kathy looks in the mirror and sees like an elderly lady looking back, a creepy old lady. Kathy also smells cheap perfume. Um, George hears uh, footsteps in the basement. And there's also like at some point a ghostly marching band marches through the house. But he thinks that it's like, but it's not really a marching band. It's like each person is just playing their own thing. Okay. So, so they're not like together is what I heard his account was. They're just sort of like the marching band instruments, but they're all playing their own thing. Creepy. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. So yeah, George becomes obsessed with keeping this fire going. Even as they're moving in, like on moving day, George is making this fucking fire. And in the movie, yeah. in the 2005 movie, they have Lee's, George's character, like constantly chopping wood and being super creepy. With his shirt off. It's Ryan Reynolds. It makes the whole movie right there. <laughs> just saying. It's um, on a streaming service. Apparently the Lutz children start sleeping on their stomachs, which is not Yeah, they're like, slept. they don't usually sleep on their stomachs. And I'm like, oh, well, that's like fucking convenient. Like you're just gonna... I mean, I, I started... Sleep- I think they made this whole thing up. I started sleeping on my stomach at the age of 28. So that doesn't mean shit. I know. I have always been a stomach sleeper. Um, green slime is oozing from locks and like running down the walls. Lee eventually admitted that that part was like embellished. Um, he starts. Oh, really? Just that part? Just yeah. Slime? Just he just walks back to the slime, slime part. Um, he right. starts waking up at three a.m. every night, which is about the time that the murders yeah. happen in the two thousand and five movie. It's three fifteen a.m. precisely. Yeah. The toilet's back up with a black smelly ooze. No, Listen, everybody's had plumbing problems. You're not special. <laughs> um. So yeah, in addition to this compulsion to keep a fire going in the fireplace, Lee also develops a compulsion to show people the boathouse, no matter what the weather. Lee and Kathy develop like a weird hang up where they're like resistant to leave the house for any reason, okay. which I mean, it's winter in New York. So yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they start getting into arguments and yelling at the kids, um, dogs and relatives who visit the home are hesitant to enter certain rooms. Yeah. Um, according to the, so I had to do such digging. So I'm going to come to the book later, but before the book, there was an article in good housekeeping in, I want to say April of 77. Mm-hmm. But before that, Mm-hmm. So I found I had to join this damn Amityville like message board because someone had posted she, images. Yeah, she texted me all this and I was like, okay, Nancy Drew. I was like, I feel like a detective. So I'm trying to find this original Good Housekeeping article from April of 77. And there's like an Amityville message board where someone has posted like, where is this Good Housekeeping article online? And someone's like, I found it. And I'm like, click. And it's like, you must create an account. I'm like, oh, for good Christ's sake. So I create an account. And I find the images of the article that are on this message board. And the fourth and final page of the article is missing from the message board post. Yeah. So I do a little more digging. I find out that it ran in the New York Daily News in July of 76. And then I 
have to create a newspapers.com account to access that. And it turns out that I already created a newspapers.com account in 2017. <laughs> so I have to retrieve my <laughs> password. And this is all on my like junk, like Comcast email that I got when I set up my internet. So I'm like, what? So I finally get the whole article. Anyway, in the original Good Housekeeping article, it was not trickles of green slime. It was red slime. There are apparently also strange gelatinous drops in the carpet. Um, doors and windows open by themselves when nobody's in the room. That happens in the movie. Uh, black spots appear on bathroom fixtures and can't be scrubbed off. You need to buy yourself some scrubbing bubbles and some CLR folks. Um, they smell rotting bodies and flies. Apparently even in the dead of winter appear on the playroom window. Um, they smell two different perfumes in the second floor bathroom and in the master bedroom. Apparently Kathy does not wear any perfume. Kathy feels uh, Mrs. DeFeo grab her hand while she's sitting by the fire. And she blurts out the phrase. Kathy just blurts out. She's hot with her kids. And she's like, I have no idea why I said that. What? And the next day they learn that Mrs. DeFeo's body is being moved from the family plot to another burial site. Um, oh, she's not with her kids? Or she's hot with her kids? I thought it said she's hot with her kids. Oh, maybe it was not. <laughs> I'll have to check this out again. Um <sighs> Doors are torn off. Windows are smashed. They're, they find the hoof prints of a giant pig in the snow and they see a demonic pig face in the window. Jody. Um, classic Jody. Classic Jody. Looking in the window with her glowy demon eyes. On January 10th, 1976, after another weird argument with the kids, Lee wakes up feeling an overwhelming urge to leave the house and he tries to wake Kathy, but instead... Before his eyes, she transforms into a 90-year-old woman, and she stays that way for several hours. The next night, she slides across the bed toward him in her sleep as though she's hovering just over the bed. He closes his eyes, and he feels a cloven-hoofed animal step onto the bed. He also hears his kid's bed slamming around in the rooms, but he's immobilized in bed by an unseen force. Hang on. I'd like to back up to the cloven-hoofed thing. Yeah. Um... <laughs> He says his eyes were closed, but he felt a cloven hoof on the bed. Yeah, I don't know how you would know what kind of critter foot you wouldn't was stepping on your bed. You what if you were making all of this up? Oh yeah, you would absolutely know what kind of hoof or paw or whatever it was. <laughs> okay, hang on. I'm going back into the forum because this hot with her kids thing does not make any fucking sense. I'm going to check if it's not because <laughs> that makes way more sense. I was like, whatever, ghosts, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, the password wrong. Whatever, go sure. Yeah, <laughs> just so fix this part of it. I also, well, I'll just talk while you do that. I also read somewhere that um, when George was George, like fell asleep on the couch or something, like watching TV or whatever, like you do, and then this like woman. Like, he thought it was his wife came over to him and they started having sex. And then the woman, like, changed into, like, a 90-year-old, like, terrible, ugly, horrible uh, person thing. Like, a, you know, like a siren. Creepy. Or something doing that. And I was like, all right, sure, Jan. All right, does it say it? What's it say? It says, so see, there's, like, a weird blob in the text, but it's definitely not. Okay. <laughs> that makes more sense. We cracked the case. I thought the implication was... See, I just thought like, I misheard you, because I was like, she's hot with her kids. What? I assumed that it was supposed to be some sort of, you know, like, she's in hell or something. No, it definitely yeah. says she's not with her kids. Yeah, okay. so they find out that after that, 
<laughs> the next day her body is funny. i know like can we fix this in post i don't know how to fix this in post i don't know don't That's worry fine. about it it's we make mistakes too okay <laughs> so yeah um a colleague of lee's um at the like contracting firm and her friend come over to investigate and when they walk in the house, there's what a pa- are they going to do? I don't know. She's apparently, yeah, like dabbles in spooky shit. And she's like, I have a friend who can like yada yada. So they come over. Oh and when they walk in, there's a turbulence in the house, quote, like an elephant rolling over in its sleep in every room of the house, except the sewing room. I don't know how you would know this unless you had someone in every room of the house, including the sewing room, but whatever. This colleague's friend says that the house is haunted by the spirits of those who died in their sleep and don't know that they're dead. So they open a window. They are supposed to open a window in every room of the house and say a prayer in the four corners of each room. Lee thinks the presence is gone, but Kathy very sadly says like, no, I don't, I don't think this is over. That night, Kathy sees angry red eyes in the window and Lee wakes up in the night, letting out a creepy wail. And at the same time, speaking in a voice that's not his own saying it's in Chris's room. So a priest they contact, cause what are you going to fucking do next? says that ideally in order to solve this, a priest should stay in the house for three days and say mass every day, ideally at noon, but that he himself will not do it. <laughs> and he says, it's like bad, bad where, he, where he's reading it. And he's like, only a priest read should this do if, this. <laughs> only read this if you're a priest. Well, we like, don't have a priest. Well, so we don't I'm have a do priest, it. so I'm going to fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, so this priest is like, so here's exactly what a priest should do, but I'm not going to do it because I'm scared. So <laughs> he says that the Lutzes should either get out of the house or maybe talk to a priest from England where they have more experience with hauntings. Which I'm like, what? I mean, I guess England is older. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> That night, the Lutzes try opening the windows, praying and closing the windows again, but one kid is injured by a window when attempting to close it. That night, beds move around, doors open and close, including the doors that are double locked and windows and doors that are nailed shut. And a Bible on their nightstand flips around three times, and the priest calls back that morning and says that they have to get out by sundown, which they do on their 28th day of living in the house. January 14th, 1976. One moon had passed. Yep. And they leave behind their clothes in the closet. They leave behind the food in the fridge and their belongings are auctioned off later. So paranormal investigators, I thought it was interesting in the 2005 movie they have, in addition to the Lutz is only lasting 28 days. They said that it was after 28 days of living in the basement that Ronnie came upstairs and shot Mm -hmm. everybody, which is not what happened, but it's, you know, an interesting little tie in because in the 2005 movie, and we'll come back to this, but, like, Lee is obviously possessed by whatever is wrong with the house. Yeah. And is about to kill everybody when they finally, when they escape, like, just in the nick of time. Of course. So paranormal investigators, including our friends, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, descend upon the house. Um, the team takes time-lapse photos, which don't show anything except one picture maybe shows a little boy looking out of a bedroom door. No, it doesn't. So the DeFeo's attorney... <laughs> hires Hans Holzer, a professor of paranormal psychology and a self-styled ghost hunter to look into the house in 1977. This is very silly because I actually took in freshman year of college, a class called psychology of the paranormal and pseudoscience. And this class was obviously taught by a skeptic. And the class was all about like, why do we believe like, what are some common paranormal and pseudoscientific things that people do believe around the world? And what do we get out of it? So I find the idea that this is a, professor of paranormal psychology who is not a skeptic very silly um so in 1977 he brings a medium to the house who says the house is built on a sacred burial ground naturally and the angry spirit of a native american chief is haunting the house and made ronnie commit the murders 
And he says the chief will not leave until the house is burned down. Just like in The Conjuring, right? The original Conjuring movie, they find out that a witch used to own the house mm-hmm. and that she's not go- she's going to keep haunting the house until nobody lives on her land anymore. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so like a modern day, like a live chief, Chief Straight Arrow Cooper of the Montaukett of Long Island says, this is horse shit, essentially. He's like, we don't <laughs> have, quote. he's like, we don't have, <laughs> he's like, we don't have any burial ground, any records of any burial grounds there. And the Montaukett don't believe in or like do like evil making yeah. people murder each other no. after death. We don't believe in no. that. So the book in the movie, the Lutzes speak with author Jay Anson for, and he records 45 hours of interviews with them about their experience. Anson turns it into a book. They allegedly split the split. The book profits 50, 50, the film rights sell for $200,000. And they also receive a percentage of the movie profits. The Lutzes claim that they didn't get a cut of the film rights and that most of the royalties went to pay lawyers and old debts. They maintained until the end of their days that they only made a total of 300 grand off of their story. So they also it's embarked still 300 more grand than, than they had, had before. They made all this up. Yeah. So. so they also embark on a publicity tour with Josh Brolin and Margot Kidder, the stars of the 1979 movie mm-hmm. and uh, people who people magazine describe at the time as quote, a publicity wise psychic research duo end quote, which I think must be the Warrens. They don't name them in the article. But Lorraine spoke out on the Amityville haunting saying it was not a hoax. You know, they were involved and that's featured in The Conjuring 2. And they were part of this team that took these spirit photographs. We got to restart the recording. So Lorraine Warren spoke out about the Amityville haunting saying it was not a hoax. Um, their involvement in the case comes up in The Conjuring 2. And as we know, they're part of this team of paranormal researchers who took these long exposure photos yeah that's the scene where she's like walking through the house and she doesn't want to like tell them what she sees or whatever like she's walking through with uh ronnie defeo Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i think this must have been the warrens because they are the definition of a publicity wise psychic research duo I, i have a slight okay i have a slight conspiracy theory about all this yeah and i would like you to tell me what you think everyone so they moved in in 1975. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist, the movie The Exorcist came out in 1973. Mm-hmm. With like upside down crosses. Yeah. And like things moving on their own. Green slime. And green slime. And I'm Kids not saying, creepy. and priests being freaked out. And I'm not saying that they ripped off saw this movie and said that some of the stuff that happened in this movie were happening in their house but i'm saying it's plausible (laughs) but she's saying it i mean i believe that there are things that cannot be explained that happen in some people's houses but this was just like too much it just wasn't consistent it was like all over the place it was at first i mean i was like okay like it's a big house, you know, like you're going to hear creaks and mm-hmm. you're going to hear the house settling and, you know, I doors opening by themselves. Well, like maybe, but like, I don't know, replace the fucking doorknob. I don't know. I have but. my bedroom closet door opens by itself because it like in the winter when it's dry out, yeah. it won't latch shut. And yeah. in the summer when it's humid out it will latch shut okay i think the door is like just slightly too small for the frame Mm -hmm. so if it's kind of in betweeny weather sometimes i'll shut it and it'll just barely shut and then it'll pop open later so like 
I don't know. At first, I'm like, well, okay, like, this is pretty, this is an old house that was built in, what, like, the 20s, I think. Yeah, 27, 28. And so, I don't know. I just think that it's, it's just eerily similar some of the details that they say uh, are allegedly happening in their house that two years before the exorcist had in the movie. That's all I'm saying. That's all she's saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, Lee apparently sued for defamation when this 2005 remake was made. I haven't seen the 79 original, but apparently in the 2005 remake, they way like make it explicit that George is losing his fucking Marvel marbles living in this house. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the 2005 remake, George Lee kills the family dog with an ax and he chases his family around with an ax, right? He's like literally about to kill them when Kathy figures everything out and gets them out in the speedboat. Um, but the movie was found to be protected by the First Amendment and by California's anti-slap statutes. And he had apparently originally in 1979 agreed that the filmmakers could alter the story and, you know, signed a document saying that he wouldn't sue for defamation. Well. So tough titties. Um, separately. Read your contracts, folks. Yeah. Separately, documentarian Ryan Katzenbach claims that there were at least two shooters. Right. Because, again, how could one person go through the house and summarily execute six people without anybody waking up and doing anything? And he claims that underwater archaeologists found an extra gun in the canal behind the house. So. Oh, so they think that like Ronnie had a pal. Yeah. And Ronnie's story, when it starts to fall apart, like he claims um, that this mafia dude, Louie, what's his nuts? His name is completely escaping me in this moment. Louis Fellini. Like he claimed that Louis was in there and he had help. And they like walked him through the house as they killed everybody. Or like maybe that he wasn't in the house when they were killed. So Mm. yeah, this documentarian is like, oh, there were definitely at least two shooters. So who knows? People apparently are still speculating on this while Ronnie DeFeo is serving prison time for killing everybody. After the haunting, the Lutzes had two more kids, Gabrielle and Noel. Uh, They moved to San Diego, briefly selling Amway products to make a living and eventually they moved to Arizona and Lee and Kathy divorce. Mm-hmm. Kathy died of a respiratory illness in 2004 and Lee died of heart disease in Vegas in 2006. He was only 59 years old. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Lee apparently had converted to Catholicism by the time he died. And acquaintances in Vegas where he was living said that Amityville was always a tough subject for him. Yeah, because he lied. Yeah. So here we go. Was this a hoax? Yes. We know Abby's opinion. <laughs> Ronnie Jr.'s attorney says that Lee Lutz was a con artist and that he and his lawyers made up the whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, Ronnie Jr.'s attorney is named William Weber. So he apparently told Lee Lutz that Ronnie DeFeo Jr. used to refer to the neighbor's cat as a pig. And he says that over some wine, like Lee, he and Lee are like, oh, what if this was, you know, a movie? And like Lee spins it into the story about a demon pig that he sees in the window. Mm. Weber maintains that the whole thing was a hoax. Lee Lutz shoots back that he's tired of being called a liar and that he would only ever move into a new build after what happened to his family in Amityville. He'll never be, you know, a second or subsequent owner of a Mm. home ever again. The Lutzes sue Weber at Alia for invasion of privacy, but their case is thrown out. Weber countersues for fraud and for breach of contract. So here's the interesting thing. Apparently before they did their interviews with Anson for the book, Mm -hmm. the Lutzes had a deal with another writer and with William Weber. He had started writing a book about Ronnie and he thought that the Lutzes story would drive up interest in the book when they got in touch with him. So apparently there were like 40 hours of interviews recorded before the Anson interviews. And so when they went with Anson for the book, Weber countersued for fraud and breach of contract. It also sounds like maybe 
these earlier interviews were connected with the good housekeeping article. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find very many good sources, but in this Amityville, you know, forum thread where I found the images of the good housekeeping article, those people were saying that the good housekeeping article and the previous New York daily news articles were both published without the Lutz's consent. So I wonder if that might be tangled up with this like Weber contract pre Anson book deal nonsense. So Weber's countersuit is settled out of court. And the judge in this case, um, before it was settled, said that he believed that the book was fiction. Um, And the Lutzes say that they backed out of their deal with Weber because he wanted to split the profits with Ronnie DeFeo. And they're like, we're not sharing our money with a murderer. Was this before? Oh, yeah, because this is before Son of Sam. Yeah. Because this is a Son of Sam law. In case you're not a nerd like me and you don't know this, (laughs) the Son of Sam law basically prevents murderers from getting profit on any of any like book or movie Movie, or something about their lives. Interesting. Yeah. So Roger Ebert, reviewing the original 1979 film, which was apparently the second highest grossing that film that year after Kramer vs. Kramer, said that he... <laughs> oh, man, that is a good movie. Uh, <laughs> he said that he met Lee Lutz at LAX, and they had a couple of beers, and he found him a very likable and believable fellow. Okay, Roger Ebert. But Roger Ebert, of course, refuses to pass judgment on the veracity of the story, and he says that he's only interested in whether it made a good movie, and he says, I do not think it made a good movie. LOL, Roger Ebert. So Daniel Lutz, one of yeah, the Lutz... Yeah, I remember Roger Ebert being really hard on horror movies. Yeah, so most like, critics are. Yeah. It's like kind of a boring take to have. But... Yeah, it's like, all right, don't don't tell me you didn't almost poop yourself, man. <laughs> I know you did. So Daniel Lutz makes a documentary in 2013 called My Amityville Horror, and he doubles down on the original claims. The director of the documentary says that he doesn't believe that it happened all as the Lutz's claim, but that something weird definitely happened in the house. Sure. None of the subsequent owners have made claims anything like what the Lutz's There you said. go. That's all the fucking proof I need. We should have just led with that. It would have been a five-minute episode. <laughs> So I looked, I did a little bit of research into murder houses generally. Um, This real estate agent. Not the, not the American horror story. (laughs) A real estate agent who was interviewed about the subject said that as long as it's a nice property and it's been upgraded and improved, buyers will come. Like they don't really care. I mean, just like originally, apparently the Lutzes knew about the murders, but they're like, we're not superstitious. And we're not superstitious, but we are a little stitious, which is like everyone's (laughs) online dating profile quote. Get a new one. If that's your fucking online dating. Sarcasm is not your second language. It's not. Fuck you. Um, you do not picture of you with the fish down too. Or your (laughs) friend's dog or like the starving children who you quote unquote helped. Um, also, you're not looking for a partner in crime. You are not interested in committing any crimes. No. Please tell me what exactly an adventure is to you because it's not going to neighborhoods over to try a new froyo place. Anyway, attorney Stephen Leto, <laughs> author of American Murder Houses, I guess this attorney who just like went around, like went across America looking into fame houses that were famous for murders oh, that happened fun. in them, right? He has said that he found that usually there's an initial period right after the murder where it becomes, as he said, almost a tourist attraction. Oh, yeah. Like neighbors are freaked out. They don't answer the door to strangers because they assume you're some fucking weirdo. Yeah. Strangers drive by for pictures. But as the neighborhood turns over, stigma fades. Sure. So the buyers after the Lutzes, James and Barbara Cromarty, who they were the ones who had the address changed in order to get them by themselves some privacy. They allegedly suffered from a rash of rubberneckers for a couple of years, but they believe that the Amityville horror was a hoax. They had the house for 10 years, from 1977 to 1987. They sold it to Peter and Gene O'Neill. They had it for 10 years, sold it in 1997 to a guy named Brian Wilson, who had it for 13 years, sold it in 2010 to Caroline and David D'Antonio for $950,000. And then they sold it in 2017 for $650,000. Apparently, Brian Wilson had 
um, a moving out sale and hundreds of people lined up in their cars, like around the block to get inside the house. Yeah. And to get something from the house. I believe that. He sold it to right. This Caroline and David D'Antonio family, apparently right after it came out that they were buying the house, Caroline's email was hacked. She started getting phone calls from weirdos. And on move-in day, they had three people try and drop by and like check out the house. Weird. There are, there's apparently an entire industry. There are websites that'll let you buy a report on who all has died in your house. Um, apparently someone died in 112 Ocean Avenue in 1939. Just a guy died of an illness. He's the only other person who has died in there besides the DeFeos. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course there are like, and we saw this in Bad Ben too. There are like urban legends about whether or not it's required to tell you if someone died in the house or was murdered in the house. It becomes a plot point in movies like in Bad Ben. Mm-hmm. Um the, in New Jersey. It takes place in New Jersey. Yeah. And he's like calling the person who sold him the house. And he's like, why didn't you tell me that this couple died in this house? And the real estate agent claims that he only had to tell him if he asked, like he doesn't have to volunteer this information. Like, Oh, well, you didn't ask. So I wasn't legally required to tell you or whatever. Yeah. So this is like a whole thing people apparently think about when buying ho- homes. I'm definitely going to ask. No I'm over here. Like if I can buy a home, it doesn't fucking matter what happened there. If I can fucking buy it. Yeah. I'm a millennial. When am I ever going to buy a house? No, never. The answer is never. Oh, I just wrote those down. Just, yeah. Yeah. So the original movie in 1979 was rated R. It was 117 minutes long, directed by Damiano Damiani, starring James Brolin and Margot Kidder as Lee and Kathy. Um, the taglines were houses don't have memories and for God's sake, get out. Apparently they publicized it so well with these for God's sake, get out posters that people were calling movie theaters asking when for God's sake, get out was coming out. <laughs> um, they also funny. said the best selling novel about a haunted house has become real. And from the bestseller that made millions believe in the inevitable, unbelievable. And it well, grossed. you didn't make me believe in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it made about 86, $87 million in the box office. Yeah. And then the two thousand yeah. yeah. And then the two thousand five movie also rated R only ninety minutes long. At the end we were like, Oh, this was a pretty short movie. It was a very short movie. Directed by Andrew Douglas, starring Ryan Reynolds and Melissa George as Lee and Kathy. Um <laughs> The taglines were based on a true story and catch him, kill him. And what happened over the next 28 days has never been explained. And it made 175, $107.5 million worldwide. I thought the catch him, kill him thing. I was like, what is that? I was like, was that, I was like, I need to go back in my notes and see if that's something that like Ronnie cited. Cause there's all these, like the fridge magnets say yeah. catch him, kill him. And they find like find journal Ronnie's journal says yeah. catch him, kill him. So in the movie, in the 2005 movie, instead of this, bullshit ancient indian burial ground and there's an angry chief instead they do a bullshit this home was originally yeah a mission run by this father ketchum which i was like that's corny but whatever and allegedly father ketchum like that does sound like a puritan name though it kind of does i was like you know i get it but also this is corny so in the 2005 movie they have this father ketchum dude like he allegedly founded a mission on the grounds of the Amityville house, but actually he was secretly like keeping and torturing native Americans that he like slit his throat on the spots that his spirit would live there forever. And that is what it is making Ryan Reynolds lose his fucking marbles. Oh, okay. Which, and at the beginning, right. Cause I thought this was interesting. I was looking for comparisons between real life and the movie at the beginning. They show Ronnie DeFeo killing everybody. And he's like looking at, it looks like an old tiny, like, testing like tv station screen but in the middle is like mm. a stereotypical like chief's head image mm. so i was like are they gonna try and bring up because i couldn't remember how they explained so. it in the 2005 movie i was like are they gonna try and 
shoehorn in this Indian burial ground yeah, thing. All, like the end of this movie, it all kind of like falls apart and it's kind of like all over the place. Yeah. In my opinion, like it's like, oh yeah, there's this guy and he like kept Native Americans, uh, you know, in the basement. And uh, yeah, it's just. And uh, that's why Ronnie DeFeo was evil. I don't know. I think it's interesting. This weird, I feel like that's such a trope. Like this recent modern horror happened, but it's got to be blamed on some, like much older, deeper evil, like the conjuring, like the house is haunted. Oh, it's because of this witch mm-hmm. Amityville horror. Oh, the house is haunted. Oh, it's because of this, like, you know, murderous missionary or in real life. Oh, the house is haunted. Oh, it's this angry native American chief. I don't know. It's weird. Is it like things that have happened in recent memory, like in the lifetimes of like people who are alive today? Is that just like not a deep enough evil somehow? Like it has to fester for hundreds of years and it has to have been this guy, like, torturing people for yeah. decades like only that could make someone kill their whole family i don't know i don't know what it's like what does that really serve narratively other than like a very weak plot twist and what does what does that serve sort of societally like someone can't just be a creepy asshole who kills everybody surely there was a reason surely there was some ancient festering evil I don't know, man, but if I ever kill somebody, I'm going to say there's some ancient festering evil. <laughs> they did it. Not me. Not me. Um, I don't disbelieve that there might have been a mental health, uh, an undiagnosed mental health issue with... With the Lutzes or with Ronnie? With, with Ronnie DeFeo. Um, I think that they leaned into the insanity defense because of some small comment he made to the police or something about, about the, the voices or something or a voice or something. Um, it also seemed like he was all over the, on the other hand, it does also seem like he was like all over the place when he was talking to the cops and like, he was just like, Oh, the house made me do it, you know, kind of thing to like cover his butt. I don't know. So I can go both ways on Ronnie. Yeah, and with the Lutzes, I don't know. I don't believe in, like, ghosts and stuff. I think the most forgiving interpretation for me would be that the Lutzes got kind of spooked and then, like, spun it out into this bigger thing. Like, if you're not... Like, if you do believe in ghosts and stuff, hell, I don't believe in ghosts and stuff, and I would be freaked out living in that house, and I would probably imagine things. Mm. Like, I can totally imagine some of this stuff, like, oh, it's always cold in the house. It's a ghost. Or like, oh, there's some weird crud in the carpet. It's a ghost or whatever. But they obviously, and apparently, according to William Weber, like, spun some of this stuff out into something bigger than it really was. And I don't know. I don't I don't want to be like, these guys were just assholes. Because it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like I couldn't see myself spinning like a really bad period in my family into like a profitable media franchise. It seems a little mean to suggest that these people I don't know would do that, but I just also don't believe that that stuff happened. And I'm not convinced that they believed it either. Cause like you said, like these phenomena are all over the place yeah. and they match up to a lot of like popular media depictions of hauntings at the time, like oh, the exorcist. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that until you pointed it yeah. out. Smart lady, this one. <laughs> Connecting the dots. Well, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, The Exorcist was a huge movie. It yeah. Was huge. It was all over the place. And, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It just seems like 
your, uh, I don't know. Maybe they were just trying to flip the house and they just kind of flipped it. <laughs> so they just gave up the point. It would absolutely be me. Yeah, like, no, I could do this. Look at this charming fixer-upper. 28 days later. Fuck, fuck this. Fuck this, I'm leaving. And I'm going to say it was haunted so I don't have to say I sucked it. Contract. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i mean i'm not saying that they were like terrible people or anything i think they just like saw an, a situation they could kind of take advantage of and work to the way that they wanted um but yeah i wish i could talk to some of these people who have lived in the house since then and be like i mean i assume they're skeptics or that they believe that the haunting was a hoax or whatever but it'd be interesting to be like, weren't you even a little bit worried? Like, I don't even believe in this stuff, but I've seen enough horror movies to be like the very first time I saw a weird shadow. I'd be like, I was wrong. Ghosts are real. But <laughs> I'm trying to think like where the line would be to get me to like leave a house. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay. Creaking floorboards. That's normal. Fine. Normal. Windows and doors opening and closing by themselves when I'm not in the room, mm. fine, normal. Yeah. Especially if you have three kids. Yeah. It's like, who knows what they're up to. Exactly. Um, Bible spinning around, that would upset me. Yeah, I would leave. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't think you're just looking for your favorite psalm, whoever or whatever you are. Yeah, if the Bible is just like breaking. <laughs> mm. like, no. I'd be like, oh, well. We're leaving. Yep, yep. We're leaving and we're never looking back. It's no. like, weren't we talking about this on a previous episode? How creepy it is. The trope of like, your yep. religion can't help you. Yep. Like I whatever is whatever no. is haunting your home or your life is not impressed that you have a Bible on your nightstand. Any, yeah, anything that is able to twirl around a Bible like it's like a fucking... Or scare uh, off a priest. spinner yeah. is not going to be amused when a priest comes over and tries to get rid of yeah. it. Yeah, or if a priest comes over and is like, here's what you gotta do, but I'm not gonna fucking do it. <laughs> I'm not stupid. Yeah. When even the priest is like, I'm no, not gonna touch that, not but I'll tell it. you what you should do. Like, <laughs> here's what a dumber priest than I yeah. would do. I'm like, huh? Again, the fucking SNL skit. The bed is on my foot. Guys, if you haven't checked that out by (laughs) And he asks Richard Fryer, he's like, where's your faith, Father? And he goes, I left it in the car. Yeah, it was a Patreon episode. We were talking about the SNL Exorcist skit. So one of our Patreon episodes was our top eight horror movies. And um, we talked about the Exorcist. The Exorcist was mentioned. And the uh, SNL Exorcist skit. Yes, with Richard Saturday Friday. Night Live skit is hilarious. So good. Should, it's on YouTube. Google it if you can. If you can. <laughs> Your kinda, mama eats kitty litter. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of helps if you've seen the movie, but I feel like I saw that before I saw the movie. I did I too. It was yeah, stuff, my mom so. loves SNL. She had some like best of SNL like DVDs or something. Yeah, and that's one of her all time favorites. And that is so relatable where the, like the older priest, Richard Pryor plays like the, you know, novice priest mm-hmm. and the older, pri- like Richard Pryor is losing his shit because he's not a, a fucking idiot. Yeah. And he's like, um, and the older priest is like, father, where is your faith? And he goes, I left him in the car. I'm going to go get it. <laughs> <laughs> that would absolutely be me. <laughs> Doodles. See ya. I don't want to beat ya. Yeah. I hate that. I hate when they play on that. And I just, man. Because, you know, when you're 
in something like that, you're trying to be comforted. You're going to try everything. You're so like, we're going to follow the rules. Like, yeah, we're going to follow the rules. And the ghost is like, your mommy eats kitty litter and I don't care about your fucking rules. And you're like, <laughs> damn, I don't know what you'll respect then. <laughs> not my like, mama, throws, not my rules. Your, your ghost like opens the window and throws the Bible out of the house. No, I'm following the Bible. <laughs> uh, what would be creepy things in a house oh other creepy things that uh haunted house horror movies do anything with mirrors yes anything with like writing in mirrors or like handprints on mirrors when they're taking a shower or something you saw me that scene where ryan Reynolds is watching his face in the like heavily fogged up mirror i'm like no nah, yeah, no not today and they don't no. do it but i was like no they don't, but they it was tense that you thought they were going to do something. Yeah. Mirror gags, um, grabbing your ankle from under the bed. Nope. Nope. Rocking chairs moving on their own after Psycho. Nuh-uh. Mm-mm. Um, doesn't that feature in the, oh, is it one of the Conjuring movies? There's a horror movie we've seen, a recent horror movie where there's like a rocking chair moving on its own and I'm like, ah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go grab my, uh, creepy dolls. No, thanks. Oh, that scene just now in the in Amityville where this uh, the girl Chelsea slash Melissa has this one eyed teddy bear and it's like oh like a creepy old teddy bear whatever that's NBD and then this priest of course I I like noticed that she only had it after they moved in so I'm like creepy was this like the teddy bear of the youngest of the DeFeo girls yeah. and sure enough the priest shows up and he's like you know that doll that that your daughter has with the one eye? And she's like, yeah, I assume the family before us must have left it behind. He's like, no, they didn't. He's like, the youngest DeFeo girl was buried with that doll. And I'm like, no! And he's like, I... I, uh, Of course he buried them himself, personally. Yeah, I led their funerals. That's not the word. What's the word? Presided. Presided. The the babysitter babysat for the DeFeos. The priest buried them. Can we talk about the babysitter? I'm like, are there only five people in this whole town? I love this babysitter. So the actress who plays the babysitter is... She's clearly supposed to be like some 'er ne'er-do-well teen. But the actress is nine years older than the youngest of the Lutz kids, the actor. And she's only four years younger than Ryan Reynolds. So she's like 25 when this is filmed and Ryan Reynolds is like 29. So I find it funny that they were like, this 25 year old can be like 17. Sure. Dude, I can't believe that when I was growing up watching movies that like anyone in high school that was cast as like a 26 year old, I was like, yeah, that's what people in high school look like. Right. I feel like that's why I was so. And now I teach high school and I'm like, what the fuck? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I was in like second grade, I imagined fifth graders looked like what high schoolers actually look like. And I imagined high schoolers look like this fucking 25 year old (laughs) actress who plays this babysitter. She's like doing bong. She's like ripping on the bong in the bathroom. And I'm like, damn. And then she's wearing, first of all, she shows up. It's her first time babysitting for these people in a crop top. She's wearing a crop top, which I'm not saying women can't wear crop tops. I'm saying that if for your I'm, first day of a job if, of any kind, yeah, for, a, for probably. Un- I mean, unless there's like a uniform or something, leave the crop, have to wear a crop top at home. But like, also, if I'm around kids, I want to be as covered as possible. I don't want their tiny germy hands. Touching, Children are sticky. My teenage boys are weird. Like immediately, the teenage boy is like, "How out?" And he like makes her popcorn. And she comes out of the bathroom where she's After been smoking. Yeah, and he's like, "I thought maybe you'd be hungry." And she's like, "Yeah, dude." <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like lying on his bed, like telling him about all these people who were murdered. I was like, "Girl, do you want this job at all?" 
She's like, it's honestly so gross. You guys sleep in these beds where they were murdered. LOL. And I'm like, this bitch does not give a fuck. She left her fucks in the car. She's smoking weed. She's wearing a crop top. She's telling true life scary stories to these children. And she then a little. A year old if he fringes. Yeah, she's like, do you fringe? And he's like, oh, what? And she's like, kiss with tongues. And I'm like, blah. <laughs> If you are contemplating French kissing a 12-year-old boy, you should not be a babysitter. You should be in jail. <laughs> this babysitter is so fucked up. Oh, God. I was like, okay. She is just chewing the scenery. That actress had so much fun with that role. And then they, she goes in the closet on a dare that they found allegedly found uh, one of the DeFeo kids in. And, and of course, the little girl is like, you were a shitty babysitter. Now I'm going to torture you from beyond the grave. And then she she's like, like, no. She like leaves on a gurney, like frozen. I saw her. She's petrified. supposed to be dead. And the Lutzes are like, you darn kids. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. <laughs> Your kids like put this girl into like a catatonic state, yeah. like leaving in an ambulance. Oh boy! Well, so that was our Amityville episode. Amityville horror for you. Movie episode number three. Yep. 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 It was. I mean, Ryan Reynolds alone. Right. He was like, his... "Why did they?" I wonder what else he was filming in two thousand five because they yeah. made him so ripped just to play some like somebody's dad. And I feel really bad, like, ogling him because I've, I've been reading articles about, like, how they, like, don't drink water so no. that their muscles look better and, like, all this other, like, crazy, terrible, shitty stuff. But, like, damn. <laughs> he worked hard for the money. Only half of the crabbiness was fake. The rest was dehydration. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so he did, I mean, it was, it was a fun movie. It mm-hmm. wasn't, I don't think it aged as well as I thought it was. No, going. I remember being scared shitless by this movie and it just wasn't that I just scary. Feel, I just feel. Maybe I'm smushing multiple movies together in my head because I thought I remembered something scary happening to the kids in the basement and that didn't happen. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. It's fine. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to our Amityville horror episode. I hope you stay queer and spooky and vet your babysitters carefully. Yeah, aren't you glad we have, like, babysitter.com now? Because <laughs> they're like, yeah, we've got it. was like, this would have never happened with nanny.com or whatever the hell. <laughs> nanny.com, please sponsor us. <laughs> but, like, she was, uh, the main, the mom was like, I found a babysitter on the cork board at the grocery store. And I was no! like, no? And they just called her and she just came over? My two babysitters that I had as a child were both nice young ladies from church. And then the only person I babysat as a child was the neighbor kid who lived behind me. And I was only a few years older than him. I was like, I don't know why you think I can take care of myself and a child and this child can't take care of himself. Well, is, it, is it John Mulaney that says, like, you have a 13-year-old taking care of a 9-year-old yeah. and all she can do is, like, dial a phone better than <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Okay. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay queer. We'll see you next we'll, we'll, we won't see you next time. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.